Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to Roberto, the co-founder and CTO of Drive. And he's passionate about making your driving experience safer using technology that is available now. So let's not delay. Let's get Roberto into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Roberto. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Well, uh, my name is Roberto Sicconi. I'm a CTO and co-founder of Drive. Uh, The company was created uh, a few years ago to address uh, what we think is a very serious problem, and that's uh, inattentive driving. Um, We see way too many drivers uh, getting distracted or drowsy whilst driving and uh, getting into crashes that could be easily prevented. Uh, We think that at least a half of those crashes are preventable, maybe even more, and there is technology that that can be used uh, today to uh, make that happen. Brilliant. And we're going to talk loads about this because we've had a fascinating conversation around what your company does and the, and the solutions that you're uh, bringing to the market. But before we do that, I'd love to know what your journey as a tech leader has been from back then to now. What, what's that been like? When I was a kid, I remember uh, playing, we were talking about beaches earlier. I was I loved to play on the beach, I would say, and, you know, and my, my brain kept running and I was envisioning myself doing Think, new things that uh, I wasn't sure whether they were possible or not, but they really uh, would, I would be passionate about. One of them uh, was uh, being able to communicate with other people using holograms um, <clears throat> and essentially <clears throat> representing things that don't exist uh, that can be used uh, to uh, describe what you have in mind so that the other person can see it and not just uh, hear description of. Yeah. And the other dream that I had was the ability to communicate brain to brain, like uh, telepathy, if you wish. Um, but using technology. Wow. Now, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> it took a while for those things to happen. But uh, if you look at uh, what the Microsoft has done uh, with HoloLens, for instance, or other people have done with uh, either implants or just the sensors applied to the skull to detect the wave, uh, brain uh, waves, uh, most of that is becoming reality. So, uh, yeah, it took uh, <laughs> half a century, but yeah. we're getting there. Um, in the meantime, I also uh, started looking at uh, use way, different ways of using machine, human-to-machine interfaces um, so that uh, when I started working on uh, microprocessors first and then with IBM, um, I was intrigued by image processing, speech processing, and for many years I, I worked on a number of leading-edge projects in, in that space. Uh, it was really my passion. Um, I, I happened to be responsible for a team that created the, or released the first uh, uh, speech dictation uh, solution that IBM put on the market back in 91 in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was for pathologists and radiologists. and had a lot of limitations, uh, no free form or so, but it was a different way for doctors uh, to interact uh, with their computers uh, whilst uh, in darkness uh, checking x-rays. 
Um, and that that was a kind of beginning of a longer career that I spent at IBM, uh, trying to understand how can you perfect the speech recognition? How can you make it available to everybody? Um, you know, then uh, beginning of 2000s, I was uh, the appointed person to uh, between IBM and Honda to work on conversation capabilities in cars. And that's where I managed to put together my passion for cars uh, with the passion for human machine interfaces and make sure that uh, drivers can take advantage of it. Brilliant. And that becomes also the seed for the activity we are working on right now. Excellent. That's that's wonderful. And and moving from your kind of tech abilities, your the techie in you to tech mm -hmm. leader, was that quite a hard transition? No, it has been actually a, a continuous evolution. Um, I remember uh, at the age of 14, 15, I had a big passion for music. I still do, but it, it never became a professional. And so I was uh, building, designing, building uh, amplifiers at first and then little synthesizers. Uh, at the time, synthesizers were getting hot. And then that, that led me to <clears throat> experiment with microprocessors. And I created my first personal computer way before IBM <laughs> created its own. Wow, fantastic. Um, and, and that was, uh, you know, in, the, uh, in those days, uh, it was uh, an amateur thing. You had to be part of a club uh, and people would help each other figure out uh, how to put the keyboard together with uh, the CPU and, and connect the TV screen. Um, so it's a completely different era, but uh, the, the passion was there from the very beginning. And then I realized that uh, the, the world was, uh, you know, going to be around or be uh, um, permeated by uh, CPUs, uh, programmable devices. Uh, so any um, hardware solution would probably be uh, short lasting and, uh, and, and I needed to invest more in uh, software skills. So I, that's where my career started at IBM as a software programmer. That's quite, it's quite a, a nice, interesting, as you mentioned the word evolution towards mm -hmm. uh, getting into the car and using the kind of skills that you've kind of created. So, so this brings us on to your company then. Um, I mean, I find this fascinating because um, I mean, there's obviously talk, a lot of talk out there about, you know, driverless cars, et cetera, et cetera, you know, automatic, automatic. Um, so what's the problem that your company is solving in the market? The problem is the inability and sometimes uh, unintentional, but uh, inability to keep the right level of attention at all times. Um, of course, there's a big range between beginners, um, aging population who, uh, because of uh, physical constraints, are maybe unable to keep the level, right level of attention. Um, there are professional drivers uh, who are trained to pay attention all the time. But even so, there are situations where, um, for whatever reason, your mind is racing, you're thinking of something that is happening. And then all of a sudden, you're not uh, realizing something's happened before you that requires your attention and, and you, you find yourself in a crash. So those, those are the things that unfortunately keep happening and will continue to happen until vehicles will become fully autonomous and there will be no need for drivers. But I don't think this is going to happen very soon. So it's augmenting the, augmenting the driver, uh, um, like having a passenger, but not a passenger. And what's the kind of underlying technology behind, behind the, the solution that you're providing? Well, uh, you mentioned the, the, the passenger concept before. That's exactly what we are trying to implement. So we would like to have a uh, virtual passenger who is has enough uh, driving skills uh, to understand the situation, uh, understand when uh, when we need to brake, when we need to swerve, when we need to accelerate. Um, has the ability to scan the scene, understand what possible risks are ahead, and has some decent uh, prediction capabilities. Is a car coming from the right? What if uh, they don't stop? You know, that kind of things that, that we humans are very good at and machines uh, typically uh, suffer from being able to create the prediction um, 
I would say reliable predictions. Uh, humans are very good in um, it's in, and you know you don't want to distract the driver, but at some point you you, you feel compelled to say something. Did mm. you see that guy? Well, you know, there's a pedestrian coming across, and you see that the driver is looking at the opposite direction, and you're afraid that the driver may not have seen him, and then all of a sudden there may be a crash. So yeah. th those kind of correlations are very important. And most of the driving assist solutions don't really do. And even if they do, they don't communicate with the driver. Yeah. They act if they can. Otherwise, they are just passively there for you to figure it out. Yes. So the idea is to create this intelligent, the concept of an intelligent passenger or co-pilot that's sitting there with you that stays quiet most of the time, but speaks up whenever it's needed. And uh, we refined this over time. Now we have uh, different levels of uh, communications. We have the warnings, we have the alerts. Um, the, the system we have is an aftermarket, it does not intervene on the vehicle. So it doesn't have to brake for you or swerve the car for you, but right. it gives you a little head up um, warning so that uh, you can do the, the job for, that is required. Brilliant. Um, uh, going forward, uh, the same technology, of course, uh, can be embedded into partially self-driving vehicles, fully uh, self-driving vehicles, and in that case, it will take care of uh, drivers who are supposed to supervise uh, the driving of the self-driving vehicle. Uh, but because of most of the um, most of the stimuli go away once you're no, no longer driving, the car is doing it for you. Um, mm -hmm. It becomes important to know if the driver is even aware of what has happened. So that in case he needs to take over, he has a few seconds of history in mind to know what the right decision uh, has yeah, to be. I like it. I love this. I mean, one of my questions was, uh, going to be, you know, is it is your system there to inform or act as well? But what you what you described, it's more of a inform. Yes, today, yeah, which which is the same as a passenger. Passenger is not supposed to grab the wheel. Or, or <laughs> grab the wheel, know. right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it, it could. If if you are an instructor and you have a teenage driver who's getting <laughs> license, yeah, you may be tempted to do so. And but it's it's not the right approach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and. And the way you communicate this, the awareness, what is it? Is it through voice or is it a, yes. a light? Yes, it's all audio. Yeah, we limit the voice because voice is relatively slow. Um, to communicate a, a concept, it takes a one or few words, and that may mean a few seconds. Sometimes uh, uh, this might be too long. Uh, you, you want to have a short uh, beeps and very quirky sounds that you can easily train your ear to. They yeah. tell you exactly, uh, is this a braking, is it a cornering, is it a speeding event, is it um, a drowsiness, a distraction? And uh, we, we came up with a careful selection of uh, little sounds that are unusual. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't say piercing, but something that, that cuts through the noise. So even if you're looking, uh, listen to music, you can detect uh, those uh, strange beeps uh, or, uh, you know, sweeping sounds um, that are, are recognizable, but they're very really? short. Uh, yeah. Typically, the sounds are less than a half a second. Yeah, I like it. I was just, um, the humor... The humorous side of me was coming in then. I wanted to think, does it use profanities? Does it give a <laughs> profanity to say you really need to pay attention? You know? it's, uh, it's actually interesting. Uh, you know, 20 years ago when uh, Tom Tom and Garmin were dominating the space of uh, personal navigation devices, um, they started using a synthesized voice, uh, to, you know, to pronounce the uh, name of streets uh, and directions, uh, etc. And um, particularly Tom Tom, I remember at some point it was offering as a service uh, the ability to uh, replace uh, some of uh, the sentences uh, with uh, much more colorful expressions uh, pronounced by celebrities. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, there wasn't so much for me, but I remember people paying good money for, for the kind of Yeah, of that's right. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is, I mean, it's kind of funny, but sometimes, uh, you know, profanities, the, the language at the edge of our vocabulary, 
um, as, as, as I tell my uh, teenage daughter, these are special words to be used in special circumstances, you know. <laughs> um, uh, they do have a way of communicating the severity of something, you know, sometimes. But yes. um, I, I imagine for your system, we can have an upgrade where we can add a celebrity saying some profanities. One thing that was pretty telling, uh, one of our first pilots was with a, a limo service. And uh, we were using uh, mostly words at a time, a few sounds, but mostly words. Then uh, the uh, the owner of the limo service, uh, one day told us, uh, um, can you change that uh, distracted message to something that is not uh, as obviously uh, obvious uh, to be recognized? Because when the, uh, the customer is sitting in the back, uh, they hear oh, distracted, distractor, distracted. Oh. <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> yeah that's not good is it yeah so so he 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 thought it was important to have a notification to a driver but not something that any passenger detects recognizes right away so something yeah. that is for the driver not for the passenger yeah and and so we we changed to a set of sounds uh, special sounds that you know the driver knows how to interpret but then the passenger may not i love it I, this is a great great kind of solution that you have here I'm, I'm really excited to see the difference he's going to make. I'm going to ask a really tough question now, okay? Yes. Because uh, I'm going to be like a devil's advocate. Why why bother with this when we've got uh, fully automated driving cars coming out very soon, hopefully? Well, in all fairness, um, if, you, if you go with the fully autonomous vehicles that have no need for drivers, um, I agree. The need uh, to understand what, what the driver is doing, at that point, you don't even have a driver. Driver is one other passenger. Uh, it becomes important only to make sure that uh, people in the cabin are aware of what's going on, but they're not in, in charge of driving anyway. So um, it, it becomes a much, much less important. Problem is, uh, those fully autonomous vehicles, driverless uh, autonomous vehicles, are still far away in time. I mean, no, no matter how nice solutions uh, Waymo and, and Tesla have put together, we are still minimum a decade away, I would say probably more like one and a half or two decades away from having a lot of vehicles that drive by themselves. Yeah. And uh, until we ha you have uh, uh, some drivers that are going to use uh, legacy or even advanced solutions, level three, level four, that require supervision, uh, you will have this problem. And it's going to take certainly belong, uh, beyond my lifetime uh, to, uh, to get to a point where uh, everybody is sitting in a shuttle. Yeah. Um, and until that happens, you have to make sure that, that one, the driver knows what's going on, and two, the vehicle knows whether the driver is capable of understanding what's going on and is capable of uh, kicking in. Brilliant. I like it. It's, it's almost like a, uh, this technology solution that you're creating is a, is a bridging event to what will be. It's an evolutionary bridge. And, and there's another compounding effect. Um, as we humans, um, I wouldn't say we are uh, lazy by nature, but uh, we tend to uh, reprioritize our activities um, based on efficiency or performance. So if we are required to sit comfortably and, and put the hands on the wheel every now and then, look into the camera every now and then, uh, we, we tend to ju do just that. Whatever is required, uh, we minimize our in, uh, engagement to make sure that everything keeps going and that we maximize the amount of time we have to do other things. Mm -hmm. So if you have a car that is driving 80% of the time, 90% of the time, you are certainly going to be interested in uh, having calls, uh, look, uh, listening to radio, God forbid, even watch a movie, depending on how reliable the system is. Uh, the problem is that once you start doing it, uh, you completely forget about the fact that, hey, at some point, uh, maybe on a very short notice, you may be required uh, to pay attention again and do something. 
And as you get more and more into this infotainment mode, uh, your skills are probably going to de de deteriorate. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a perverse uh, cycle where the supervisors are going to become worse and worse drivers over time, and you can count on them less and less. So you will have a, a more sophisticated solution to compensate for that and make sure that nobody gets into trouble because they, uh, they delegated too much to the, to the car. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. And how far away of putting this into the cars are you, uh, your kind of system? Are they already in cars? Y yes, we, uh, we do have products installed that we decided to go with the commercial vehicles first. Um, there are at least a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, the commercial vehicles uh, space is uh, more ripe to uh, using telematics uh, in general, uh, driving uh, monitoring solutions. Um, they, they started using um, driving monitoring already almost two decades ago. And I would say one decade ago, they started becoming a, a major force and then it became, started becoming partially mandated. Um, video assist also came in uh, 10 years ago uh, without any ability to process things on the fly, but that's coming now. Um, so all those things have been around for a while. I think uh, the, uh, the advantage of our solution is uh, much uh, more affordable and it's based on uh, regular phones. So it goes, um, it takes advantage of a natural progression of capabilities of phones faster than any dedicated solution that you can, can build and then you have to amortize over a few years. Yeah. Um, but that said, uh, the, the market is there. There is uh, no need uh, to have a, 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 um, a solution completely inserted into the vehicle. Even if you have a black box mounted somewhere, that's perfectly acceptable now in a commercial vehicle. Uh, yeah. When you put it in a car, in a personal car, especially if you have a very nice uh, high-end car, um, anything that stands out that is not acceptable. So you have to minimize uh, the electronics. You have to make sure that it doesn't show up anywhere. So ideally, you like it to be embedded in the vehicle. And that you can only do if you do it together with the car manufacturer. For the manufacturer, yeah. So in terms of timeline, I think commercial vehicles are there today. And you can install uh, thanks to, and we have uh, customers today. Uh, in terms of car Makers, uh, they all realize that there is a need for something like this. And most of them are have started introducing similar solutions or partial, partially similar solutions like uh, Super Cruise in the case of Cadillac or Blue Cruise in the case of Ford, um, Eyesight in the case of Subaru. Um, and and others, uh, other makers have similar solutions in cars coming. Even Tesla has a camera that they are now turning on. Uh, to monitor the driver. So th those things are coming and then they will become part of cars, but it will probably take several years before they become pervasive. So these systems that you've got in place, is there any kind of regulation that sits around them, that things that you have to comply to? Um, yes and no. Um, I, I think that here in the States, uh, 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 people here, both the companies and, and the users uh, tend to be very um, allergic uh, to mandates. Uh, they they like the market to sort out the, what technologies work best. Yeah, mm, you know, mandates like uh, uh, wearing seatbelts uh, have been imposed in the past because otherwise people would not just uh, pay the extra money to get seatbelts installed. So sometimes the mandates have to be enforced. Otherwise, technology is not picking up because the justification is not obvious, and then it takes some time to to uh, get improvements. Um, uh, I don't know, em emergency braking is another one that has been mandated, and I think it was a good idea because it's a very good uh, solution for most of the drivers. It doesn't solve all the issues, but at least it mitigates the risks yes. automatically. But it had to be mandated because otherwise the extra cost required uh, was not uh, easily absorbed by users uh, who are not willing to spend an extra one, $2,000 for the feature. 
Um, Europe is in a different mood. Uh, um, in general, uh, the European Union has been more open to uh, regulate everything because otherwise they felt like uh, each uh, state uh, would uh, have its own set of rules and it would be very difficult and dangerous to have vehicle moving from one state to another using different uh, set of standards. Um, so um, about a year and a half ago, um, the European Union approved a mandate that requires a black box to be installed in every single car produced in, in Europe. Uh, by 2023, if I remember correctly. Um, and then 2025, uh, across all levels, initially it's uh, only luxury, the higher end cars and then all of them. And the black box has to use uh, cameras and other sensors uh, to identify um, drowsiness, uh, distraction and drunk driving conditions in the vehicle. Not so much to intervene, but at least uh, to record what is happening. Mm. So, so the infrastructure is going to be in place in every single car. And as a consequence, uh, T1 suppliers and car manufacturers who know they have to comply, otherwise they will not be able to sell cars, uh, thinking, what else can we do with it? I mean, we have to put this thing in place. Uh, can we take advantage of it? And so all of a sudden, what is called the driver monitoring uh, systems um, is, is a category of solutions similar to ours, which uh, look at what is happening on the road, looks at what is happening to a driver, and may decide to do something about it either intervene on the car, slow down the car, uh, warn the driver. Um, so th those things are not, uh, I would say the interface itself is not uh, mandated. Uh, it's still open to interpretation or so, but at least the, the basic uh, uh, technology infrastructure is being forced uh, to be get in place. Here in the States, there was no such thing. NHTSA is responsible for regulation, for, uh, for recommendations in the, um, and evaluation of uh, safety systems. Um, but the recommendations are not strong enough uh, for all kind of manufacturers uh, to align. Um, until this year, um, a new alliance was formed by uh, most of the major players in the auto space and tier one, um, who decided that it's time to come up with regulations that uh, every manufacturer can adhere to so that uh, there is some homogeneity and then you can expect uh, um, a, 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 a faster progress. So you have to make an investment, at least you know what to expect. And then when cars interact with each other, you know which one is supposed to do what and how to interact there. Yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of the industry is pushing for a need for mandates. Um, and that was uh, partially triggered by some uh, bad crashes that um, Tesla cars uh, got into because of stupid people taking too much advantage of uh, the autopilot. Um, and that woke up, you know, the interest of a lot of uh, players that decide, hey, let's let's stop this before it becomes madness, and let's uh, come up with a set of rules. And there are some proposals uh, um, that uh, the administration is looking at that may result into a similar mandate to the one that uh, Europe, European Union has uh, um, uh, voted for already, uh, maybe in a year or two. So I think it's coming. This kind of brings me onto a question that's popping around in my head around testing. So mm -hmm. obviously, you're, I mean your system isn't having to make any action act on it it's informing so there's a kind of different level how do you test this i mean do you do you have like a car where you kind of move things in and out of view or i mean how how, how do you test your system uh well ideally you would like to test it in a simulator um and there are driving very powerful simul driving simulators where you can create all those conditions uh create the warnings accordingly and then see how people react um uh, we, we have an agreement with a company that specializes uh, with this in uh, next to Washington, uh, but it's an expensive process. So uh, if, if we, we're a bigger bigger company, yeah, we do it routinely. Uh, we have yeah. to be very careful in, in limiting this to, to view test sessions. And most of the analysis is done by analyzing uh, recorded trips. And, uh, in, and a lot of the testing is 
uh, based on uh, us and our customers uh, can sort of donating information, uh, so collecting it for their own purpose, but then we reanalyze the data and we reapply our uh, machine learning techniques uh, to that uh, new content um, to make sure that it works well in all conditions. And Brilliant. that includes uh, different types of roads, um, blocking elements, uh, illumination issues, uh, weather conditions. It, it, there's a very high variability. Um, right now we have collected something like a couple of million miles of uh, driving uh, behavior. Um, ideally, you would like to have, you know, one, two orders of magnitude more than that. Yeah. So, I guess your uh, solution that you're coming up with has lots of different uh, use cases, you know, it's mm -hmm. not just cars. I mean, your car is the, the kind yeah. of topic at the moment. I mean, what other, I mean, you can mention one now, are there any other kind of areas where your, your technology is likely to be used? Uh, well, we were discussing potential uses, uh, for instance, in, in terms of uh, remote monitoring of uh, patients um, in healthcare centers, uh, nursery homes. Yeah. Um, uh, in a lot of situations, uh, the technology has to be adapted, of course, because you cannot expect to have a camera looking at the face of uh, the person all the time, like, <laughs> like it is in a car. Yeah. Um, you have to use uh, multiple cameras, uh, multiple views, uh, and in some cases, it's not just the face, uh, the person falling, you want to detect it. Um, so there are extensions of, of the system that can be used uh, to um, um, keep an eye on, on people who may require some attention and, and you cannot afford to have uh, somebody always with them. Plus, it wouldn't even be nice to have always somebody uh, with you. But yeah. if you need, need it, yes. So the, those applications are at reach. Uh, right now, we cannot afford to go after all of them. Um, so we, we're sticking to, to, to the car space, but clearly the technology could be licensed uh, and used in other spaces. And as a tech leader or a leader just in general, what's the thing that keeps you up at night? Um, time. Uh, and, you know, partially because I've been in this business for quite some time, so I'm no longer a youngster. Um, I, I feel like uh, there's a certain amount of time I have in front of me to make a, a bigger impact on, on the world I'm in. Um, in uh, generally speaking, I realize that any decision you make is has more or less a profound impact depending on how quickly you execute. So yeah. time is extremely important. And sometimes uh, you have to uh, change your um, decision process, uh, make sure that uh, you, you go for the right priorities. Uh, and again, uh, priorities are highly um, <laughs> dependent on, on, on the progression over time. Yeah. Um, I think, no, I, I don't think there's any exception here. I mean, time is important for everybody, but particularly for small companies. And creating your high-performing teams, people around you that are going to deliver the, the, the vision that you have and the kind of customer-centric solutions. How do you go about creating your high-performing teams? What's the tips that you have for tech leaders out there? Uh, well, you know, selecting the right people is always important. I think extremely important at the beginning of uh, the company. Um, you, you, <clears throat> you want to be able to count on a few individuals uh, who... Uh, not only execute what you have in mind, but to bring in their own different views, and it may be conflicting views, and that's important also. Uh, you, you, you can't guarantee to be always uh, on the right path. You need to have uh, um, people willing to uh, argue with you and uh, come up with uh, different ideas, and then in the, end, in the end, you might win with your idea, but you understand the other uh, viewpoints, and then you'll make a more conscious decision. Yes, it still wasn't the best idea, but there were some alternate ideas were equally good. The other thing with uh, selecting the, the people at, at the beginning, uh, they should be able not to be just uh, very good at one task. They should have enough of an open mind to be able to uh, switch to a different technology, uh, learn something new, change even role. 
uh, make sure that uh, the, the team is uh, agile enough uh, to go after the opportunities. So sometimes you have to pivot. The initial idea uh, turns out not to be um, necessarily a business success, but some uh, variations uh, could be. And then uh, not just you, but the whole team has to be able to jump over and then start uh, with refresh the passion. So Roberto, Drive is a, a startup and it's kind of growing. There's a huge potential out there. It's growing, okay? What are the common, what are the things that you're doing to create the foundations for your growth to make it easier to, to have less pain while you grow? Um, well, it, it, much of it depends on the level of funding that you have achieved. Um, if you have uh, solid funding, uh, you, you can structure the efforts, uh, you can um, you know, define the timeline properly. Uh, in our case, we started uh, with, you know, we, we self-funded ourselves for a long time. We had some uh, seed uh, that helped us uh, keep going, but we never had the luxury of uh, uh, hiring teams uh, and people just in case. So we had to do the most out of what we had. Um, and then uh, we realized that, that the most important thing in this space, especially in the early stage of a startup, is traction. Yeah. Um, traction is kind of an abstract word, but uh, eventually it means, uh, is there a product? Is there a product fit? Is there anybody paying for it? And how quickly are you growing? Mm. Because uh, if, you, uh, if you don't find customers, uh, you know, sooner or later you die. If you have customers, uh, the next question is, uh, okay, how many more customers can you get the next quarter? And then if you do, uh, how many more do you get to the following quarter? What is the trajectory? If it's uh, flattening out or is it uh, the beginning of a hockey stick? Mm. And those things are very important parameters and they all depend on having pretty much your, your work done. Um, you, uh, you cannot easily uh, grow your customer base uh, with an incomplete product. So sometimes uh, you, you get a little uh, um, conflicted on uh, what to release as a product. It has to be good enough uh, to attract customers, um, but uh, it, it, it shouldn't be uh, overcooked. And then and all of a sudden uh, you spent uh, way too much time and efforts in, uh, and the traction is not uh, recognizing the effort and then you derail uh, the whole project. So it's a con continuous tension. Um, and especially if you have to put a uh, new funding in the mix, it's a, it's a balancing act. Uh, how much effort uh, can you afford uh, doing before you go for the next uh, round? And uh, it, I don't think there's a single recipe, depending on the space, depending on the industry, depending on the skills of the, the team, you have to adjust one way or another. And um, I would say probably until you go into a series B, uh, you have to constantly re reinvent your team and the roles uh, and, and the priorities. And then once uh, the, the company starts adjusting, yeah, your existing investors are uh, expecting you to follow some trajectory and then uh, they measure your <clears throat> progress along that. And then you're no longer allowed to re-revolution the, the whole company. You have to stick to it and then expand gradually and create partnerships. So the, the process changes depending where you are in, uh, in, the, in the stage. Uh, but the, the basics uh, are, are the same for any, any company, I think. Yeah, yeah. A real balance uh, trying to, gonna get this kind of right. Um, engineering challenges. What engineering challenges are you facing at the moment in your innovation and, and the work that you're doing? Well, in, in our particular aspect, since, uh, since we are combining uh, a lot of image processing uh, on the road and the faces, so there's uh, plenty of established uh, companies that have uh, even more sophisticated uh, algorithms that we can put together. 
um, and that's uh, continuing. And, and because it's a hot space, uh, there's no way you can stand out. So you have to find uh, your niche. Um, and in our case, it's above uh, the traditional uh, image processing techniques that are used uh, for driving monitoring and, um, and driving assist and trying to understand how do we best interact with the driver. That's a space where we think we have a unique uh, recipe that we want to um, create out. But uh, being able to stand, uh, to be leading edge in, in all components is impossible for a small company. So yeah. that's where the tension is and you have to decide, do I want to use my own code? Do I want to license it from some other company? I lose the control of that part, but I have a better, better solution. So Roberto, as we've come towards the end arc of our podcast together and our time together, um, what advice would you give? No, actually, what books would you recommend to other leaders and tech leaders out there, books that have made a difference to you? Um, Crossing the Cosmos was one that really impressed me. Mm, it was a long time ago, and I was uh, in a corporate uh, IBM. Um, so I was very far from the kind of decision-making that uh, the top leaders have to make at the time. Uh, but I, I realized uh, how easy it is for a company to completely uh, ignore changes in the market that uh, force you to reinvent the company. Yeah. And, and how much resistance uh, can be built by an organization that has been performed, uh, performing uh, brilliantly for decades and then all of a sudden becomes obsolete. Mm. And, and they are the first ones who don't want to accept that. So it's, uh, there's a lot of resistance inertia in the bigger companies. One reason why at some point I left IBM, decided to create my own startup. But I realized that there was this tension in, uh, and when you are uh, leading your own company, you, you are in charge. Uh, you have to realize that and you better not make those kind of mistakes or it could cost uh, the life of your company. And, and you kind of mentioned earlier on that you, you don't all read books. You kind of read a lot, quite a lot of other material. Yeah, I, for instance, I'm fascinated by um, uh, very high-end radio frequency uh, technology by photonics. Um, some of it uh, has a direct impact on what on the technology we're using. Some of it, I think, is just uh, a way in the future, but I like to see what is coming so that I can prepare for it. Yeah. Um, and there's beautiful magazines that you, it's for me, it's like a child uh, looking at an, some fancy book where you see beautiful pictures that uh, portray a, a future that is uh, two, three decades away. And that makes you think. Yes, it's, it creates that vision. and. And inspires mm -hmm. innovation, uh, seeing a possibility. I love that. Here you go. It's a fun part of the podcast. <clears throat> I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a second. I'm going to offer you a wish for your tech leadership, for your industry, for your company. What would that wish be? My desire was always uh, to have a serious impact in, in terms of positive impact uh, on uh, everybody's life. And I think my wish list would be to be known for a technology that has uh, given people some sort of a superhuman uh, new capability. They didn't even know it was possible. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we are thinking of something that is relatively uh, simple-minded, but is not existing. And we like to uh, show that it's possible. And that's the uh, ability to help you make decisions. Uh, particularly when humans, um, I'm, I'm thinking of, for instance, uh, drivers uh, who are on the road all the time <clears throat> and uh, need to use uh, time not only to drive, but also to communicate with a customer that they had a delay, there was a change in the schedule, they need to talk to a colleague uh, to remind them of some issues they find on the road. So they find themselves uh, wanting to talk whilst driving. 
and they, they don't want to stop the vehicle to make a call and then uh, restart. So there's a fundamental need to get in communication with somebody else, which is much more severe for professional drivers uh, who are spending the whole day on, on the wheel. And, and, and then the, the, the risk is, uh, as much as they want to pay attention to, to, to driving, as occasionally they may get uh, too excited um, on the call to really realize what's happened. Yeah. So the, the idea we had uh, recently was to use uh, our underlying layer to de detect uh, when there are easy times, uh, uh, tough times, or safe times to talk. To use that one to, um, uh, to gate the communications automatically. You don't have to worry about it. You have a system that knows this is a good time to talk. Uh, you can call your friend or your spouse or your customer. And then if something changes, I'm going to suspend the communication right away. And I'm going to notify you and the other party what's going on so they don't have to worry uh, about anything. But once the situation is clear again, just to restart. So it's kind of reinventing the phone uh, with, uh, with the notion of knowing what's happening and, uh, and inform everybody so that nobody gets surprised. I love that. Because this is a fascinating subject because um, when you have a passenger next to you, if you're a passenger and you see something changing in the road, yeah. you naturally quiet down. You actually yes. stop. You even sometimes turn down the uh, volume for the driver, you know, on the radio, for example. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. So in, in a sense, I'm not inventing anything. Uh, this is a, a, a natural evolution that uh, we got to as humans uh, sitting next to somebody else and being able to judge uh, and decide when to act and, and how to act. Um, yeah. The idea is to create a, a good passenger, not a, not a backseat passenger. <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. Excellent. And finally, what what is the one key takeaway that you'd like to leave tech leaders or leaders out there as you as we come to the end of our podcast time together well co compared to when i started uh, before joining ibm um the the world has changed completely uh, i think uh, right now anybody who has uh, um, a good idea um and and perseverance uh, in and flexibility uh and, and willingness uh, to be very critical to himself and to others uh, around um, the opportunities uh, to come up uh, with, uh, you know, gorgeous growths uh, are absolutely uh, never seen before. The, uh, we had uh, uh, something like this as a preview back in uh, when the internet bubble burst uh, in the, uh, around the year 2000. So a lot of people got the, uh, the impression that all of a sudden the economy has changed. It's all in the hands of uh, small companies, not the big ones. And then that collapsed and the bigger companies uh, took over for another while. But in, in the meantime, I think uh, the, the, seed, uh, the seeds were <clears throat> planted and now there's uh, an unstoppable growth from uh, small ideas to small companies that are um, really a grassroots for any innovation. And I think this is an, an unstoppable trend. Uh, more and more, the innovation was, is going to come from small teams, uh, well-funded, the, you know, the infra infrastructure for funding has in, in, uh, improved tremendously. It, it was non-existing decades ago, but right now it's it's powering the new economy. I think for young engineers uh, who have a passion and interest, uh, uh, this is a golden time. Love it. Great note to finish on. Thank you for your time, Roberto. It's been wonderful having you on board. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Well, that was an interesting conversation. I love Roberto's drive pardon the pun, to make driving easier using technological capabilities now, not just technology that is destined to mature fully in a decade from now. So what were your key takeaways? These were mine. My first key takeaway is around bridging solutions or bridging technologies. 
As Roberto mentioned, that driverless cars are probably a decade away in the future, but there is technology now that can move towards helping and augmenting drivers, helping many drivers to be safer when distracted, tired or drowsy, and thus avoiding crashes that on the face of it could be easily prevented. My second key takeaway is around decision making from a leadership perspective. As Roberto said, any decision you make has more of a profound impact depending on how quickly you execute, i.e. decide quick and get into the space to see if that decision is right. This, to me, speaks beautifully to Agile with a capital A. My third and final key takeaway is about, as an engineer, dreaming big. Some of those dreams, even as children, do come to reality. And Roberto's story of his childhood ponderings were realities in the process of becoming. It's a real shame that those dreams weren't realised by his hands. So I guess the learning for me here is to be conveyed to the younger audience members and that is to dream big and make those dreams become reality. Be part of the technological evolution. Be the dreamer who makes the dreams come true. And if I had a mic right now, I'd be dropping it. So thank you for your time, Roberto. I love your passion in this space. I really see that you want to deliver something from the tech space that saves lives and makes our lives safer. So thank you for your time and keep up the great work. I look forward to seeing and hearing about your continuing success and maybe even finding that success in my car as I'm driving, helping me be safer with my family. Thank you again, Roberto. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.